This morning, church, I invite you to take your Bible and turn to the gospel according to John chapter 10. I want to read in your hearing verses 11 to 18. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence the public reading of God's holy word. John chapter 10, allow me to begin at verse 11. I'll conclude at verse 18. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, to the preaching, to the understanding and the obedience of his perfect word. You may be seated. The first church that I ever served as pastor was in Owenton, Kentucky. In that congregation, there was a very successful sheep farmer named Brian. Brian had the family farm that had been passed down from one generation to the next. By the time I got to know Brian, he had hundreds of sheep. One day I had the bright idea to go to the farm and shadow Brian. I just wanted to watch as he interacted with the sheep. I asked, he gave me permission. He told me to be there the next day at 5.30. I said, in the morning? When I reminded him that not even the sun gets up that early, he reminded me that long before the sun peaks over the eastern sky, he'd already put in a full day's work. The next day, I got up, I got ready, I got there. I think I was there on time, but I'll never forget spending those few hours with Brian. It was Brian, that grand shepherd, who emphatically told me there is not a dumber creature on planet Earth than sheep. He said with a smirk on his face, I guess that's why the good Lord compares us to sheep. He said, you can't drive the sheep like you drive cattle. You got to lead them. You lead them wherever you want them to go. Their surroundings always have to be calm. If their surroundings are not calm, the sheep will not eat. They will not drink. So you've got to make sure that their surroundings are tranquil. He also said that sheep, they're not strong. They can't even fight off a common cold. He said, that's why every day we have to give our sheep shots and vitamins. Because if one sheep gets sick, it will spread into the entire flock. I'll never forget those words. That conversation was probably by now 20 years ago. But yet I remember it like it was yesterday. I followed Brian into his large sheep pen. And I will never forget what happened next. 
I watched how the sheep, and as I said, hundreds of them, almost instinctively, rhythmically, when Brian walked in, all of them perked up their heads. And with their eyes, they followed as Brian walked all throughout that large sheep pen. As I walked in, I realized that it it looked like a sheep pen. It smelled like a sheep pen. It was quiet and calm. The other hired hands were there. They were administering the medication for the day. And I watched how all those sheep locked eyes with Brian. He began to do a little whistle, a, a little a uh, song or something that, that he had that he began to communicate. And one by one, those sheep followed him. We were about to leave the sheep pen, and I just asked him, I said, uh, can I try that? And once again, he said with a smile across his face, yeah, go ahead, give it a shot. He knew that was a rookie mistake. I did my best to mimic Brian. I tried to walk like him. I tried to imitate his gait. I I tried to imitate his Kentucky country twang in his voice. But even though those sheep are so-called dumb, every one of them knew that I was a phony shepherd. Not one of those sheep came following in my direction. Not one looked at me or came towards me. I just looked at Brian and I shrugged my shoulders as if to say I did my best. He just kind of gave me a wink and a nod and he walked out. Friends, I'll never forget that day. I got back into my car. I drove to the church office and I thought to myself, those sheep, they know their shepherd. And no one could fool them because Brian was a good shepherd. Friends, today we come to the fourth I am statement found in the Gospel of John. This fourth statement is pivotal. It is an important statement. It is the hinge statement of all seven I am statements, messianic metaphors found in John's Gospel. It is central, not just chronologically, but also theologically. What I mean by that is there are three I am statements before this one. There are three I am statements after this one. So chronologically, it's right smack dab in the middle. Before this statement, Jesus had earlier said, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the gate. In later chapters, Jesus will say, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the vine. Here this morning, we come across this statement, and it is the central messianic metaphor in John's gospel. It is centered not just chronologically, but also theologically. This is the heart of of who Jesus is. Jesus is the good shepherd. It is from this foundation that all the other statements make sense. It's at the heart. This is the one statement upon which everything else seems to swivel in John's gospel. Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. Now, by now, you realize that that phrase, I am, is divine rhetoric. Jesus is quoting God Almighty. He is using the language that's reserved for God. In fact, it is the self-proclaimed name of God that Jesus is speaking. The first time we come across this phrase, I am, it's tucked away long ago in Exodus chapter 3. Then Moses, a seasoned shepherd, was watching the sheep of Jethro, his father-in-law, on the backside of Mount Horeb. 
And there Moses saw a strange sight. He took note of a bush that was on fire but not being consumed. That instant combustion did not surprise Moses. He was used to seeing bushes that would be uh, instantaneously set ablaze. What was so interesting is that this shrub, it just kept burning. It caught the attention of Moses. He went closer to get a better look. And from that vantage point, God spoke to him. In the conversation, Moses asked, what is your name? Name signifies essence or character. And in response, God says, I am. That's my name. It's a name that means that God never goes out of date. He, he, he never is out of touch. Our God doesn't have a birth date, nor does he have an expiration date. He is just simply, I am. It means that he is. He's always in the moment. That the God who was is, the God who is is, and the God who will be is. That God, all of God, fully God, is always in the moment with his people. So he declares, I am. This is a good word for us today. Today, in the midst of the coronavirus chaos, in the midst of confusion, it is good to know that our God is fully with his people. Why? Because his name simply means I am. Jesus spoke the phrase that was forbidden to be spoken. Nobody was supposed to say God's name. That was God's language. It was his rhetoric. And Jesus comes along in John's gospel, and on seven occasions, that number of completion, Jesus declares, I am. He is declaring that he's God. It's not that he's saying I'm like God or I'm another God or a little bit less than God. No, he is saying I am God. So friend, either Jesus is God or he has the biggest God complex that you've ever seen. Either Jesus is Lord or he's a lunatic. There, there's no middle ground. And on seven occasions, Jesus says, I am. This phrase, he says, I am the good shepherd. Now what's interesting and noteworthy is that in the days of Jesus, the Pharisees were commonly called the shepherds of Israel. But Jesus has already taught us and told us that they were bad shepherds. In chapter 9, he emphatically tells them that they are the ones who are spiritually blind. Earlier in our passage, Jesus uh, compared those uh, Pharisees to thieves and robbers. He said they were the strangers. In our passage, they're the hired hands that run at the first sight of evil. Why? Because they do not care for the sheep. The translation is that they are bad shepherds. But Jesus, in contrast, he is the good shepherd. Now Jesus has now leveled the trifecta. What do I mean by that? I mean that Jesus, in John chapter 5, declared, I am greater than Moses. In John chapter 8, he says, I'm greater than Abraham. For before Abraham was, I am. And here, by implication, he is saying, I am greater than David. Because David was believed to be the greatest human shepherd. What Jesus is saying is that he's claiming the trifecta. He is better and greater than Moses, Abraham, and David. You can see why some of the people in that immediate context, they were up in arms. They were ready to stone him. They were ready to uh, execute him because he claimed that he was better than all the heroes of the Old Testament. Jesus says, I am the good 
shepherd. You remember that David was tough and he was tenacious. You just might recall that when David was giving his resume to King Saul, trying to convince him that he could be the one to go out and defeat Goliath, it was David who said, I am a shepherd boy who's tough because whenever the lion or the bear came after the sheep, I ran after them. And I successfully got the sheep out of the mouth of the lion and the paw of the bear. And then when that animal turned on me, I grabbed it, seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. And then David says to King Saul, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and delivered me from the paw of the bear will surely deliver me from the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. All throughout the ages, David was seen as the gold standard of shepherds. David was seen as the one that every other shepherd wanted to aspire to. Now, the job of being a shepherd, it did not require much skill. It did not require much education. It was an unschooled task. But every shepherd was a tough guy. He was tenacious because he knew his job was to protect the sheep. He wanted to be just like David. Here comes Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm even greater than David. I am tougher. I'm more tenacious. I I am stronger than even David. I am better than Moses, than Abraham, and David. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Literally, the text reads this way. I am the shepherd, the good one. Jesus is emphatically stating that he's not just one of many good shepherds. He is the one and only. He's the exclusive. He is the most excellent. He says, I am the shepherd, the good one. The word good that he uses is not the common Greek word for good, which is agathos. That word means to be good morally. Of course, Jesus was morally good, but he uses a greater word than that. He uses Kalos. And that's the word that means that to be good or to be excellent and magnificent in every way, seen and unseen, visible and invisible. What Jesus is saying is he is saying, I am the greatest shepherd. I am God. I am just like him for I and the Father are one. Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. Now what makes him so good? The passage gives three reasons. First, Jesus is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus says that three times in our passage. In verse 11, verse 15, verse 17, Jesus says, I lay down my life. I lay down my life. I lay down my life. Every shepherd understood that this could be asked of them because sheep are valuable, especially to the shepherd. Moses says in the book of Exodus that sheep are so valuable that if your neighbor entrusts his sheep into your care, and while the sheep is entrusted in your care, if a ferocious animal comes and attacks that sheep, you have to go after it, and you have to rescue that sheep. Otherwise, you must bring the remains as evidence to what happened to the sheep. Now, the reason Moses writes this is because sheep were very valuable. They were so important. In fact, in the book of Amos, the Lord says that he is that good shepherd. And just as the shepherd rescues the sheep from the mouths of the lion, so Israel will be saved. 
the Lord is communicating that he is that great shepherd. And Jesus emphatically says, I lay down my life. I lay down my life for the sheep. Every shepherd understood that this may be required of them. And if push comes to shove, they've got to be willing to lay down their life. Jesus says it three times. He says it in such a superlative fashion that I lay down my life. Oh, that word life. It's not bio, it's not zoe, like we talked about last week. The word that Jesus uses is life that communicates not just the physical body, but the entire soul. What Jesus is saying is that he will lay down everything. He will lay down everything. And later in Holy Week, it will be obvious that what Jesus means is that he will lay down his very life, all of his life, on Calvary's hill. If we fast forward just a couple of days, we see our Lord and Savior praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's so stressed out. He's filled with so much anxiety that his sweat, like drops of blood, falling to the ground. And on three occasions, Jesus prays in the garden, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. He prays this three times. Not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Each time as he says it, he is furrowing faithfulness into his spirit. He walked into the garden and he was discouraged. He exited the garden and he was determined to be obedient to the will of the Father. Jesus says, I lay down my life. I lay down everything that I have. I lay it down, Jesus will say in our passage, on my own accord. Which means that God the Father did not have to drag God the Son kicking and screaming to Calvary's hill. Jesus died willingly. He died vicariously. He died obediently. And why did he go? He died for the sheep. In our passage, Jesus says it twice. In verse 11 and in verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. He dies for the sheep so that the sheep might live. You and I cannot understand God's salvation apart from substitutionary atonement. That Jesus died for us in our place. He died so that we might live. His death covers us. His life raises us from the dead. Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. Now we realize that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for the sins of anyone. But it's only applied to those who follow him. It's only applied to his sheep. It's only applied to his people, to those that are in his care, in his flock. So Jesus uh, died for his own. He died for those that he would call out of this world. He died for his sheep. The origin of this goes back to Isaiah 53, that great suffering servant passage where the Lord says, we all like sheep have gone astray, each to our own way each following our own path. But he being God laid on him, the suffering servant, the iniquity of us all. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, the death of the Messiah was a substitutionary atonement. He laid down his life for the sheep. But then Jesus emphatically says, 
that he has authority to lay it down and he has authority to pick it back up again. And this authority has been given by God the Father. Jesus has authority. Elsewhere, that same word is translated as power. Jesus has all power and Jesus has all authority. He has power and authority to lay down his life. And it's that same power and that same authority that enables him to take his life back up again. He has power and authority. Oh, it's one thing, my friend, to have power but no authority. It's another thing to have authority but no power. In our finite minds, we think of power as brute strength. We see somebody who can lift massive amount of weight and we say that person has power. They're a power lifter. It's one thing to have power. Oh, but it's another thing to have authority. A person has authority as a individual dressed in a police uniform. And that police officer can stand in the midst of oncoming traffic and merely by lifting his hand, he can stop a tractor trailer, 18 wheeler coming at him full bore. That my friend is authority. Jesus has both power and authority. He has brute strength power, but he also has authority that's given to him because of who he is. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He has the authority to lay down his life. He has the power and authority to take it back up again. Jesus is the good shepherd. Why? Because he lays down his life for the sheep. Secondly, Jesus is a good shepherd because he loves his sheep unconditionally. In verse 14, he says, I know my sheep. That word know is gnosko in the Greek. It, it literally means to know exhaustively, to know completely, to know intimately. It is that personal knowledge, the personal intimate knowledge that a husband has for his wife. This is the kind of knowledge that the Old Testament speaks of when it says that Adam knew his wife Eve. She conceived and gave birth to a son. It's that same idea in the New Testament when it says that Joseph did not yet know his wife Mary, and yet she was with child. Now, when Jesus says, I know my sheep, there's nothing vulgar about that. There's nothing out of bounds about that. What he's saying is, I have the ultimate level of compassion for my sheep. I love my sheep. I know my sheep exhaustively. I know them completely. I know them intimately. I know every detail about their life. And friend, I know it might sound a little elementary, but maybe in these days we need to get simplistic because let me just remind you that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones, to him be long. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, because the Bible tells me so. It may sound elementary. It may sound a little bit too simplistic, but I just want to remind you today, my friend, that Jesus loves you. His care for you is off the charts. His compassion towards you is limitless. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows how you are today, right now. He knows your brokenness and your blemishes. He knows your fears and your failures. 
He knows your grief and your sadness. He knows the questions that keep you up at night. He knows the concern that you have about your employment or about putting food on your table or or what's going to happen in the weeks ahead because of this coronavirus. God knows he is I am. Jesus is a good shepherd and he knows his sheep. He loves you unconditionally. And maybe this morning you just need to be reminded of that truth. It's simple yet it's profound. Jesus loves you. You belong to him. He loves you and he knows you completely and exhaustively. One of the best known stories of Jesus that's recorded for us in Luke chapter 15. In that chapter, we commonly think of that as the prodigal son story. And certainly that's where it is in Luke 15. And that parable is really made up of about three different pictures. And the first picture goes something like this. Jesus says, suppose you have a hundred sheep and you lose one of them. Don't you leave the 90 and nine in the open country and go searching for that one lost sheep until you find it? And when you found it, you put it on your shoulders and you go back home, you call all your family and friends and you emphatically say, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep in the same way. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who think they don't need to repent. Jesus tells that story to communicate how valuable you are to him. He came on a rescue mission. He came to seek and to save you. He knows you intimately and exhaustively. He loves you unconditionally. Jesus is that good shepherd, not only because he lays down his life for the sheep, but also because he loves you unconditionally. But third, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd because I link together all my sheep in unity. In verse 16, Jesus says, there are other sheep not of this fold. There are other sheep in another sheep pen, and I must get them too. This is the most staggering statement that Jesus makes in our passage. To his original audience, when they thought about the Messiah to come, they always assumed that was only a Jewish Messiah because Gentiles were reprobates. They were unredeemable. They were pagans. And Jesus says, not only did I come into Israel to call out my remnant, those Jewish sheep that know me and I know them, but also I have other sheep from other sheep pens. Who is that? That must mean you and me. It's Gentiles. It's people who are non-Jewish. And Jesus came into the world to rescue us. That world throughout the Bible is symbolized as sin and death and bondage. And Jesus came into the world, into this sheep pen, to call us by name, to rescue us, to bring us out of this world into a marvelous eternal life in him. And Jesus says, I have other sheep. I've got to call them too. Once again, we're reminded of Ezekiel chapter 34 where the Lord looks forward to the coming of the Messiah and says, there will be one shepherd, my servant, David. Ezekiel is looking to the future. David had already uh, lived hundreds of years before the prophet Ezekiel. 
So who is Ezekiel talking about? He's talking about the Messiah. He's speaking of only Jesus. Jesus is that one shepherd, and he will unite one flock, the flock of Jew and Gentile. In Isaiah chapter 49, the prophet declares, it is too small a thing for the mighty Messiah to come and just to retrieve the tribes of Jacob. No, the Lord says, my servant will be a light to the Gentiles and bring my salvation to the nations. Jesus declares, I am that good shepherd. I am the one shepherd that calls all of my flock together, Jew and Gentile. The author of the Hebrew letter just simply says of Jesus Christ, he is that great shepherd of the sheep. This morning on Palm Sunday, the reason I stand before you is I just want to praise my good shepherd. I just want to praise Jesus. I have gathered this morning just to praise him. I praise him for the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. I praise him because he makes me lie down beside green pastures. I praise him because he leads me beside still waters. I praise him because he restores my soul. I praise him because he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I praise him because, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I praise him because he is with me. I praise him because his rod and his staff comfort me. I praise him because he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I praise him because he anoints my head with oil. I praise him because my cup overflows. I praise him because surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I praise him because I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This morning I came just to praise him. I came this morning to praise my good shepherd. I came this morning to praise him because he victoriously rode into Jerusalem. I praise him because he's obediently went up Calvary's hill. I praise him because he vicariously died on the cross for me and for you. I praise him because he victoriously rose from the dead. I praise him because he is my good shepherd. This morning, wherever you are, whatever house you're in, whatever family room you're you're residing upon, I just want you to praise him. Just praise his holy name. Praise his holy name. Praise his holy name. Why? Because he is the good shepherd. This is Jesus. And this morning before I sit down, I've got to ask the question, do you know him? Do you know this good shepherd who came on a rescue mission for you? If not today, you can surrender your life to him. All you have to do, my friend, is confess that you are a dumb sheep. You're fragile, you're weak, you easily go astray, and you desperately need for your good shepherd to come and retrieve you. All you have to do is just say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I know that you came to die on the cross for my sins. And on the third day, you were raised from the dead. You have authority to lay down your life for me. And you have the authority to take that life back up again. So Lord Jesus, today, I hear your voice and I follow you. Friend, wherever you are, You can stop right now, call on the good name of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, and ask him to save you, and he will. 
if you're listening to my voice and you know Jesus, you follow him, he is your Lord and Savior, then today I want you to take a few moments just to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the life that I have in Christ. And today, in very creative ways, let your neighbors know just how good Jesus is. Maybe you need to call somebody, text somebody. Maybe you need to post something on your Facebook page or Instagram just to let somebody know that today is Palm Sunday and my Jesus has victoriously ridden and triumphantly he's come into my heart, my home. Oh, today, let somebody know just how good Jesus is. And for all of us, let us live this week realizing that this is the greatest week on the Christian calendar. Friend, everything in our faith rises and falls upon the reality of Holy Week. King Jesus, triumphantly come into our hearts. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. Lord, as we sing and as we remember just how good you are, Lord, help us to make decisions that will honor you as we follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.